Let's stand together, and uh, we're going to read from God's holy word. I'm actually going to read from two different places this morning. One's going to be Acts chapter 14, and a little bit into Acts 15, and then the other's going to be from Galatians. And the Acts passage gives some background to the Galatians passage, if that makes sense. So, Acts chapter 14, beginning in verse 24, it's going to give us a, a right good number of strange place names, but just hang with me. Acts 14, 24, then they, the they is Paul and Barnabas, passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia, and when they had spoken the word to Perga, they went down to Atelia, and from there they sailed to Antioch. Now, if you took those place names, those are all located in a region called, anybody know, Galatia, all right? So these are all cities in Galatia. And from there, Paul and Barnabas, they sailed to Antioch, and when they had been commended, uh, the grace of God for the work they had fulfilled, and when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared that all, all that God had done with them, and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles, and they remained no little time with the disciples. Man, things are going great, God's moving in power. Then we get to chapter 15, verse 1, but some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers... Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Some background to Galatians chapter 1 verse 6. Paul writes, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we would acknowledge that in those days the gospel was being twisted and distorted and that many people were believing the twisted, distorted gospels that they were being taught. And, and we have that going on now in our own day. Um, so I'm asking that you give us grace to, to understand the gospel appropriately and clearly. Because God, there is something in our sinful hearts that still longs or is drawn to false hopes. So God expose the false hopes for the emptiness that they are. And may we be a people who see the fullness of the one true gospel, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. May be seated. No doubt you are aware of the news report that somewhere off the coast is lurking this storm called Florence, right? And many of us this morning, we've already had conversations, and uh, if we see a hurricane approaching, we're going to make some preparations, right? Julie and I have already talked about some things that we probably need to do at our house, just in the possibility that the hurricane, as they track, is heading our, our way, right? I mean, if you know something's happening and you don't do anything about it, well, then you would be foolish. And Paul sees that there's not a storm brewing. There is a storm that has arrived in Galatia, but it's not a hurricane. It's sort of a theological storm, and it is threatening to wipe them out. And that's why he's writing this letter. Now, uh, in this cell phone age that we're living in, you understand that uh, I, I, can't, I can remember not too long ago uh, being at the grocery store and hearing somebody talk and thinking they were out of their mind, right? That they were walking down the aisle, and, and they're talking to somebody, and I look over at them, and there's nobody there. But, but now that's just commonplace, right? So for, pretend I didn't bring my cell phone with me, but just pretend for a matter if a cell phone rang and I picked it up and I said this, hey, how are you? Well, I'm doing fine. Now, 
just from that little bit, you would probably be able to guess what the person on the other end asked, right? They probably asked, how are you doing, right? And when you read Paul's letter, you're sort of listening to one side of a conversation. So when he says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in grace and are turning to a different gospel, what's, the, what's happening on the other end? State the very obvious. They're turning to a different gospel. And Paul's response to that is astonishment. The Greek word thalmazo. I just tell you that because it's kind of a fun word to say. Can we say it together? Thalmazo. Can you say it? One, two, three. Thalmazo. I'm astonished. He's not responding to this passively. He's not saying, well, Barnabas and I, we gave it our best in there. There's a particular posture that people take when they're astonished. We see it often in the sports world where fan will be attending a game and something will happen and man, they're just shocked about it. In fact, I've got a picture here. This is the posture of astonishment. <laughs> We've been there watching the game. And those are fairly, uh, I mean, top corners, Michigan. If you remember what happened with him in Michigan State last year, Michigan had the game won. There's only one possible scenario that could go wrong for them to lose, and that was on the punt, and that's exactly what happened. The punt was blocked, returned for a touchdown, and that's Michigan man up there. And then uh, he's shocked. I think the, the lady beside him is angry. And uh, th then you got a couple of USC Trojan fans there in the white-collared shirt, and something's going on there. And, and, and then you got some World Cup fans is where that other picture, and it's like all through the crowd that something has happened, and this is sort of the universal body language of astonishment almost like something's going on in my mind and I can't even believe I've got to kind of hold my brain together because I don't I don't know what to say their mouths are all agape I, I, I don't know what to say but Paul knows what to say and he's astonished and he's saying you're, you're deserting and I want you to look at what he says he doesn't say you're deserting a collection of teachings you're, you're deserting uh, a list of rules you're deserting a certain standard of ethics. What's he say? You're deserting him. And this would be an appropriate understanding of Christianity, right? That Christianity is not about following a standard of behavioral do's and don'ts. Christianity is about a reconciled relationship with the person of God. And Paul is astonished that they're deserting him who called you, has responded to you with grace. And they're deserting, and as we read in Acts, what are they deserting? That there are false teachers who've come in and said, unless you are circumcised according to the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. So Paul says, we, we're not going to stand by idly about this. And maybe an opening question that I would ask you is, do, do you care about the well-being of your family and friends to this degree? The Paul knows eternity is at stake here, that this is no small matter. It's heart-wrenching what's going on. He loves these people in these cities of Galatia. And do we have this kind of deep-rooted love for other people? And when we see people who are familiar with the gospel and have been taught about Jesus and they just desert, the response isn't, well, we just shrug our shoulders. But Paul, his love for them leads to action 
And again, he's not astonished that they're turning away from a set of rules or a particular argument of ideas. He's astonished that they're deserting God himself, the person. And Paul knows that this is the most consequential decision a person can make, right? They're turning away from God. And so for some time this morning, I want us to talk about the dangers of deserting the gospel. Let's read these verses again together. Paul writing beginning in Galatians 1.6, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one that we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one that you received, let him be accursed. So Paul is speaking about the astonishment of someone deserting the gospel. And so we'll talk about that this morning. And we'll just begin here. The deserting the gospel is dangerous because the gospel alone diagnoses our most significant problem. The gospel alone diagnoses our most significant problem. Problem. So if you've got your Bible there and you're open to Galatians, you want to keep your spot there, but go all the way back with me to Genesis and chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. Deserting the gospel, when you leave the gospel behind, you have left behind the only thing that diagnoses our most significant problem. Can we agree we've got some real problems? Got some real problems uh, in the world? got some real problems in our country. We've got some real problems probably in your own life right, right now, right? But the question would be, what's the most significant problem? What's the foundational problem? In, in other words, if this problem doesn't get fixed, none of the other problems are ever going to get fixed, right? So Genesis 2 is helpful in verse number 7. Let's, let's, let's think about our most significant problem from, from the vantage point of Genesis 2-7 says, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. The man became a living creature. Do you know right now you are a living creature? Now, I want, I want to talk about you for a moment. You have a will, W-I-L-L. -L. You, you know that, right? Some of you are named Will, but I'm talking about you have a will. In other words, you have been created, and, and, and this is uh, holy. Uh, all Scripture is holy, obviously. This is holy language that Scripture is When God breathed into us the breath of life. No, nowhere else in creation is that phrase used. He doesn't do that for the animals and so on and so forth. He, he's marked us and he's made us in his image, right? So one of the implications of that is you have a will. You're able to choose yes or no. You're going to go to lunch today. You can choose the hot fudge sundae. You can say yes to that. Some of you have already decided that, I can tell. Or you can say no. You have a will. You can decide. You can decide in this moment we're going to listen to what the scripture says. Or you can say no, we're not going to listen, right? You have a will. You can make choices. 
and you have a will, and then second, you have a mind. You have a mind, and the, and, and the biblical understanding is that you have thoughts and emotions, and they're going through you all the time, aren't they? Got, thinking some, some of your mind right now is going a thousand miles an hour. And some of you have these emotions that are going through. We have a mind. And, and then third, we have a body. You have a body, you're not a body. You understand the distinction, right? It's your, it's your little tent is what the Bible calls it sometimes, right? Little tent. And in your body exists, of course, your mind and your will. But that's not all that you are. Because the mind and the will and the body are controlled by something called your soul. And that's the real you. You have a soul. And that's what it's getting at in Genesis 2-7 when God takes the dust of the grid, just some dirt, right? But, but then he takes that dirt and he breathes into them the breath of life. And that dirt becomes a living creature. And, and probably the best way of understanding it is that the soul is what sort of unifies and controls the will, the mind, and the body. Quick question. Is your mind, will, and body working in unity and harmony in your life right now? Do you ever say with your will, I'm going to choose to do this in my body, and then the moment comes to decide that, and you don't do what your will has already said that you should do? I mean, we, we don't have to go any further than, you know, the food that we eat. Maybe it's just me, but after I eat some unhealthy food, you know what my will says? Next time, I'm going to eat the salad when my body is full. And so a little bit of time goes by, and it's time to eat again. And my will has told me back there, as I've been thinking with my mind, next time I'm going to eat the salad, and then it comes time to eat, and guess what I do? My, my body and my mind and my will are not working in harmony together here's false gospels false gospels here's how you know a false gospel a false gospel will always just address one of those three things either your mind needs to be corrected or your will if you just had a little bit more willpower right you can go to the bookstore today go to the new york times bestseller list and no doubt there's several books about you just need to improve your will your ability to make decisions and so on and and, and then probably in our culture the one that's most prominent is just a, a renewal of your body right just get the right diet or get the workout regimen and so on and so forth. That's what your hope would be in. But you're not just a mind and you're not just a will and you're not just a body. You are those things, but those things are controlled by the soul. And here's our most significant problem. Our souls are sick unto death. And if the soul is sick, the body, the mind, the will will never be healthy. And so when we say the gospel alone diagnoses our most significant problem, what I'm getting at and what Paul's astonished about is that they're deserting the solution and going back to a false and empty gospel. Not that there is another one, but some have troubled you and they've distorted the real gospel. That's why Jesus says, for example, what does it profit a man if he's again the whole world? The smartest man there is, the wealthiest person there is, the healthiest person there is, physically speaking, your body, right? What does it profit if he gains all of that and what? What does he say? Forfeits his soul. Because your soul's what's going to step out into eternity. 
No, false gospels will address your will or, or, or your mind or your body. The gospel of Christ addresses the will, the mind, and the body because it alone addresses the soul. This is where all of our anger and all of our lust and all of our bitterness and all of our greed and all of our violence comes from. Because God breathed into us the breath of life. We are created by God. We are created to know God. We are created to glorify God. But in our souls, we said that we'll be in control. And that created disorder in everything about the world. Let me illustrate. So what we're getting at is the gospel alone diagnoses our most significant problem. Our most significant problem is that our souls are sinful. I want you to take your Bible and I want you to open up to the table of contents. I'm going to ask you to do two things here in a moment. First is actually to open up to the table of contents. And I want you to find in your table of contents an Old Testament book called Jeremiah. Jeremiah. And once you identify here's where Jeremiah is, I want you to turn to that book and I want you to open to Jeremiah chapter 2. We're about to get a diagnosis. And then we're going to have a little bit of audience participation this morning. I'm just listening to the page turning. So just when, you, when you're all there, Jeremiah chapter 2. All right, audience participation. Nobody's going to be put on the spot or anything, but I do need you to stand. I do need you to stand up. We're going to do a little something this morning. In just a moment, in just a moment, I'm going to put a series of pictures on the screen and if you prefer the picture that's on your left I want you to with your body even if your will and your mind are saying you're not going to do this just I want you to turn in the direction of that picture so if the picture's on this side of the screen you're going to turn and face that way if you prefer what's on this side of the screen you're going to turn and this, this first one's real easy can we get the first picture here all right so if your if your preference is coke you're looking this way Pepsi? Okay. I'm having a hard time. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just checking in, I'm checking everybody out. Okay. Some of you are facing somebody, right? You're face to face. You're at odds. Okay. I've got a preference. My preference is Coke. When they come around to the table and I say, can I have a Coke? And they say, well, we have Pepsi products. Does that matter? I say, yes, <laughs> it matters. The preference for Coke. All right, let's go to the second picture here. And what we're getting at is the beach or the mountains. Which do you prefer, the beach or the mountains? Okay. Some of you are still standing straight on, so... Might need to revisit the uh, rules of this game here. All right. Hey, isn't it wonderful to live in a state where you can go east or west and get to one of them? All right. Buckle up. Next picture. All right. So. Okay. Okay, now if you're nearby someone facing this wall, you need to extend much grace today because they are, they are fragile this morning. 
They're hanging by a thread, right? All right, we just got a couple more. Next, next one. Do you like the summer or the autumn better? Which one is? Yeah. Summer, autumn. Okay. Pretty split. Pretty split on that. All right, last one. Last. I think we got one. Do we have? No, that's it. Okay, that was it. All right, so you can be seated. I do have one more, but it's not in a picture form, right? All right, this is, this, is, uh, this is the point of that illustration. Here's what sin is. Sin is when you have a decision to make at the, at the desire, the internal desire level between God and something he's created, your preference is the creation and not the creator. That's what sin is. Now, some of us got in our mind that sin is mainly behavioral. And sin is behavioral, but it's behavior that's on the basis of a desire. You go back and read Genesis 3. When the fall occurs, what's going on? When Eve saw the fruit that God had said not to eat, and she saw that it was desired to make one wise, she took and she ate. Because the temptation was, if you'll eat this, you will be like God. So ultimately, what is it that Adam and Eve are desiring? It's the creation desiring to have the status and the rights of the creator. It's Romans 1. That's the scriptural diagnosis of our biggest problem, is that we are created, but we desire to have the status of the creator. We who God made in his image want to take his place as God. Those are the stakes of Genesis 3. And, and there's only one solution to that problem, is that our desires would need to be healed. Again, this is, this is important because this is the whole, the whole basis of living by promise and not performance. That's why it's a deadly gospel. The deadly gospel, legalism and the, and the like, are deadly gospels and false gospels because they're emphasizing your behavior, your external, what you're doing, and neglecting what's actually going on at the deep level of your heart. Friends, put it this way. <laughs> until you have seen, listen to me, until you have seen that God himself is to be desired above all other things, you have not been saved. That's what salvation is is that we behold him as desirable and to be loved. What's the great commandment? To love him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And if he is not your supreme desire, then you've never really seen him for who he is. And so that's why Paul's astonished. Why, why are you deserting him? Jesus, because the gospel alone addresses our most significant problem. And we can discuss political issues and economic issues and educational issues until eternity comes. And they'll never be solved because the foundational problem is the creation wants to replace the creator as God. That's what happens in Genesis chapter 3. And the gospel is all about how the creator responds to those who sought to replace him. Here in Jeremiah chapter 2, look with me at uh, verse number 9. Paul doesn't take this passively because God doesn't take this passively. 
chapter 9 of Jeremiah. Therefore, I will contend with you, declares the Lord. Say, we got something we've got to have to talk about right now, and I'm going to contend with you, with your children's children, I will contend. In other words, this is an issue that God's not dropping. Until this is resolved, we can't get anything else resolved. He says, for cross the coast of Cyprus to see and send to Kedar and examine with care. That might not mean a lot to us in 2018, but what God's saying is, look the whole world over and see if there has been such a thing. Has a nation changed its gods, even though they are no gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Be appalled. Be astonished. O heavens at this, be shocked, be utterly desolate, declares the Lord, for my people have committed two evils. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and have hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. The problem is that our souls are sick unto death, but we've looked elsewhere. We've looked at And you can tick them all off. We've looked at money. We've looked at power. We've looked at sex. We've looked at popularity. We've looked at material possessions. These are cisterns that can hold no water. And that's evil of itself. But the second evil is that we've forsaken him. The fountain of living waters. We say we want a healthy body, but to the neglect of the soul. Or we want a healthy mind or a healthy will. The Bible tells us, That God took on a body and willingly went to the cross for our sins. When we sought to take his place, man tried to become God. God came as a man and goes to the cross to pay because this is significant. The debt and the rebellion and the audacity when human beings say we will replace God as God and now we're God. That is the most unrighteous thing that can happen and we're living right the same way until we repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what God's saying. He's astonished. And Paul is astonished. Because the gospel alone, not only does it diagnose our most significant problem, but it delivers us from our most significant problem. Delivers us from our most significant problem. When the soul is sick unto death, Everything about us is split, right? Everything about us is split. You can hear what Paul says, Oh, wretched man that I am, right? I find in me a desire to do right, but at the same time there's a desire for for sin. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Praise be to God. (laughs) But Jesus Christ can save. You don't have to turn there if I can trust you to listen really well. And that's Romans chapter 7 listen to what paul says he says i delight in the law of god in my inner being but i see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members see he's talking about this disunity between his mind and his body wretched man that i am who will deliver me from this body of death thanks be to god through jesus christ our lord so then i myself serve the law of god with my mind but with my flesh i serve the law of sin But there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. 
Here's what's astonishing. Paul, I'll give this illustration. I think I've got another picture to put on the screen. You might not recognize these uh, individuals uh, right away, but uh, the, uh, the lady there, her name is Dora Boak. On June the 27th, 1976, Dora got on an airplane in Tel Aviv, Israel to fly to uh, Paris, France. She was going to attend her youngest son's wedding. The, the flight went from Tel Aviv to Athens, Greece, and then was going to take off and fly to Paris. But in Athens, uh, some terrorists got on the airplane as well, some Palestinian and German terrorists. And when the flight took off, they took over the plane, rerouted it to Libya, and then ultimately landed it in Uganda. This is June 1976, about the same time uh, as this issue was going on that we as a country celebrated the bicentennial, right, in July 1976. And so kept captive there, this is not too far uh, after the Israeli athletes were kidnapped in uh, Munich, Germany in 1972, and so the Israeli government began to decide what they were going to do. And so Dora, 72 years old, became sick and she began to develop a plan that if she could be removed from the other hostages and be taken to the hospital, maybe she would be delivered. What she didn't know was while she was making that plan, in Israel they sent that man. His name is going to sound a little bit familiar probably. His name is Yanni Netanyahu. His younger brother is currently the Prime Minister of Israel. This is his older brother. And so he and his team got on an airplane, went to Uganda, stormed where the hostages were being held, rescued them, got them on a plane, and took back off to Israel. In the process, he was killed. And the plane lands safely in Israel, and they begin to count heads, and they realize Dora is not with them because she had sort of, and understandingly so, sort of concocted a scheme, not a scheme, but a plan to, to be removed, to get to the hospital, and maybe find some sympathy there. And they took her life. Now, it's, it's one thing to, in retrospect, say, well, what a what a decision to have made and how unfortunate that is, not knowing that a deliverer is on his way. But Paul's astonishment is rooted in the fact that a deliverer has come. And still they're saying, well, we're going to desert him. And, and we're going to, and this is what all false, false gospels do, we're going to develop our own plan of deliverance. The gospel alone delivers us did you read it in Galatians chapter 1? Grace to you and peace, verse 3, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins. See, the diagnosis is accurate. He gave himself for our sins and to deliver us from the present evil age. Anybody in the room been delivered? I mean, when we talk about Jesus being your supreme treasure, that is you. Sometimes like the song that we sing, uh, I'd rather have Jesus than anything that's the testimony of one who's been born again that's why it's astonishing to one who has been born again that those who've heard of jesus turn away third thing quickly is the gospel alone reconciles us to god 
and to each other. Reconciles us to God and to each other. Over in Genesis 3, as soon as the fall occurs, um, you see the consequences, right? That here's Adam and Eve, and they've been made for each other, and they've got this wonderful relationship. But as soon as sin enters the world in Genesis 3, man, they are at odds. Adam begins to blame her for everything that's gone wrong, right? When God has come and is going to hold Adam responsible and accountable, he says, who told you that you were naked, right? Who told you? You remember what Adam said? It's her fault. Right? This, is, this is the effect of the fall. One of the effects is in our hearts. We blame all of our problems on somebody else. Now listen to me. If sin is our most significant problem, who is responsible for that? It's not somebody else. That's what lurks in your heart. You want to blame shift, right? This group wants to blame this group and this group. But we, we're, we're, there's going to come a time where we will stand before God no less than Adam is being called to account. And when that happens... When that happens, you don't get to shift the blame to somebody else except for one. The only hope we have when we stand before God is that there's this one who had no sin that stood in my place. He took my place. He goes to Calvary and he takes the consequences of my sin on himself and he did it willingly he did it thoughtfully he did it with his body on that tree he by his stripes as the scripture says we are healed and really friends this is the only way that our relationship not just with god can be reconciled but with each other we can get no further than genesis 4 and the brother is murdering another brother this continues in the world because of sin have hatred and animosity and with our bodies and with our minds and with our wills purposefully and with intent striking down other people so i've never murdered anybody but remember the great physician says if you've got anger in your heart towards another it's as if you have murdered them that's the end game of our sin we rebelled against god this relationship between us and him disconnected And then we're at odds and divided from one another. Jesus alone can rescue us from this. We're hearing this together. The only healer for our soul is the creator of the soul. The only one who can breathe new life into us is the one who initially breathed life into human beings to begin with. So I don't want to ask this morning, how's your mind? I don't want to ask this morning, how's your will? I don't even really want to ask this morning, how's your body? But here's a question. How is your soul? How is your soul? What's it profit a man if he gains the whole world and he forfeits his soul? We live in a time and a place where we're told over and over and over again to focus on your mind or focus on your body or focus on your will We open up this book here, and what it's emphasizing is there's something that controls all three of those things, and it is your soul. How is your soul this morning? I was reading a book this week written by a man, and uh, he was talking about the soul. He's talking about a conversation he had with an author that some of you will be familiar with named Dallas Willard. Uh, Dallas Willard's written a number of books uh, that are very perceptive in in my opinion and uh this man who wrote the book i was reading is a pastor and 
So he'd called Dallas Willard up, who'd been a mentor in his life. And he's talking about, I've just gotten to a season of my life, Dallas, where I just feel disconnected and my, I'm anxious and I'm nervous and I'm fearful and can you just, can you just help me, right? And when he asked, how can a person best care for his or her soul? I thought this was a very interesting response that Dallas Willard gave. Dallas Willard said, to best care for your soul, ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And, and this might just be for me, because this kind of met me where I was in my life. Do, do you know um, nine out of ten people that I talk to in our church and just in their community, and I ask them, how has your week been? Do you know what nine people will say? It's been very busy. Very busy. Some of us, where we're sitting right now, is tomorrow is already what? Busy. Now, here's, here's how the disunity works between body, mind, and soul. It's, uh, this is very dangerous to do, by the way. It's 1141. If your clock says something, just extend me grace. We know it's 1140, but no, just here's what's happening. Is the word of God is sharp. And it goes down way deep. And some of us have looked at it and said, yeah, I, I, I am in danger of deserting the gospel and trusting something else. But now it's quarter till on what's happening with the body. And yeah, what, what's for lunch? Or your mind's making good, clear uh, thoughts. This is something I need to think about. But then, man, hurry is on the way. Do you, do you believe that God can be trusted in what he says? Because God established something. And, and man, we've, we've gotten way away from this in our culture. He said, you need a day, at least one day, every seven days. And that's a day of the opposite of hurry, isn't it? You need a day of rest. And I just want to give you this um, principle. Your soul will never be healthy if you're not taking a day of rest. And when we talk about day of rest, it's not about, um, it's not about just taking a nap, right? about recalibrating that I live by promise and not by performance. Am I really, to, to, to rest means that I, am I returning and taking inventory of my life? It's not a passive day of rest, sort of an active rest, if that makes sense, of really taking, how's my family doing? How's my marriage doing? How's my parenting going? How am I serving the church? How am I serving Christ? Who am I building a relationship with to share the gospel with? I just need to take a day of rest in the sense of, I need to take inventory of how is my soul because Monday's coming and if we're not careful, the rest of the week's going to be busy and we'll be even busy with church stuff. We need to be anxious and troubled and distracted, but may the words of Jesus to Martha be fresh to us this morning. You are anxious and troubled about many things, but only one thing is necessary. And Mary has, you might know the word, chosen she's used her will the portion that will not be taken from her the picture of somebody who's 
will, mind, and body are being restored because the soul's being restored. Ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Friends, in light of eternity, the most important thing about you is not what you do, it's about what you become. So I'll end on this note. A little bit of a paraphrase from what Paul says in Galatians chapter 1. Are you tempted to desert him who called you by grace? Desert him. Has it been a while since you've really just been with him? But even if I or a New York Times best-selling author preaches you preaches you a gospel contrary to the one that I've proclaimed to you, let him be accursed. Even if I or a teacher with 10 million Twitter followers preaches to you a gospel contrary to the one, let him be accursed. Friends, if we desert him, we forfeit rest, we forfeit grace, forfeit love. He's not talking about somebody who's losing their salvation. He's talking about someone who's, if you desert him, it's evidence that you've never really seen him. Because I'm going to tell you, if you have the grace to see him for who he really is, everything else truly will pale in comparison. So how is your soul this morning? Jesus alone gave himself for our sins. That's our soul sickness. And then to deliver us from the present evil age. So that when the scenario and the opportunity comes up and it says, do you prefer God or do you prefer this quickly fading, passing world? Do you prefer God or do you prefer unrighteousness, this unholiness? You need to have a desire. Say like Joseph when Potiphar's wife is tempting him with sexual sin. Joseph's preference was, how can I do this? And distance myself from my God. We're going to stand together and uh, we're just going to have an invitation for a refreshment, right? Invitation where... You respond to the scripture as we've preached it this morning. A couple of ways that, you know, any number of ways that you might respond this morning as an invitation. Some of you may want to come and just seek the Lord on your knees at the, at the front. And just say, Lord, I need, I need rest. I need rest for my soul. My mind, my will, they are spinning wildly. God, give me rest. Come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Friends, there will not be rest for you anywhere else but in Jesus. Father, would you lead our invitation time in a way that is pleasing to you, is led by you, is spirit-led and Christ-exalting. God, we confess that as fallen sinful humanity we preferred creation to the creator. And from heaven's vantage point, that is appalling. So God, I pray that you'd help us to feel a measure of how appalling and how shocking and how wicked and unrighteous and how sinful that really is. And that our desire would be for what makes us alive in Jesus. Lead our time, direct our steps, help us make purposeful, willful decisions that then the Holy Spirit who dwells in us will help us to carry out in our bodies. 
Thank you that there is a rescuer. His name is Jesus. We pray these things in his name. Amen.